Welcome to the Become Who You Are podcast, the production of the John Paul II Renewal Center. I'm Jack Riggard, your host. Thanks for joining us. I'm so excited you're here with me today. Uh, we're going to continue with our new podcast series based on a book that I'm writing called Become Who You Are in 12 Simple Steps, Rediscovering Life in Abundance, Meaning, and Purpose in a World Gone Mad. This series is taking us on a journey. Each episode includes real people who've encountered God in their lives. Each episode will also integrate one of the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous with St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body. This combination it delivers an incredible one-two punch that, put into practice, will make an eye stress, will make a dramatic, positive, and often immediate impact on your life. Let me explain up front that I'm not an alcoholic, and if you've never taken a drink or even thought about it, you'll benefit from the 12 steps because it taps into a timeless wisdom of the ages, and the proof of its effectiveness includes my friends, former addicts who are walking, talking, miracles, and through an encounter with God, radically changed from hopeless addicts to men and women who are an inspiration to the world. And here's the key is the word encounter, encounter with God. It's the key to the series, to the book I'm writing, and it's the most normal thing that a human being can do. An encounter with God in your life, upfront and personal. And if you haven't experienced it, it's not because God hasn't been trying to encounter you. The reason the 12 steps is because many of the most radically changed men and women I know firsthand are 12 steppers, former addicts who had encountered God through, through Alcoholics Anonymous, many of them without any former belief or training. Through my friendship and willingness to journey with them, I've learned more about love and the power of God to transform our lives for the better than any form of religious uh, training I've had. Isn't this the gospel story? Lives changed by an encounter with Jesus Christ. I'm excited about discussing Jesus Christ 2,000 years after he burst upon the scene because he showed up in my life, period. And when he did, amazing things happened. Pope Benedict XVI stated this reality in the, in, in the introduction to his first encyclical as Pope, God is love. When he wrote, being Christian is not the result of an ethical choice or, or some lofty idea, but an encounter with an event, an encounter with a person, which gives life a new horizon and a decisive direction. What Catherine of Siena, the great saints, the mystics, and many of the former addicts I know found is that when they aimed their deep, yearning, burning desire for something more than the world had to offer at the gospel, they encountered the person of Jesus Christ. This encounter gave them a new horizon and a decisive direction for their lives. They were radically transformed. Become who you are, Catherine of Siena said, and you will set the world on fire. Well, it's time to buckle up. And I'll be right back with today's episode. Chapter 1, We Admitted We Were Powerless. This comes from Step 1 of the 12 Steps. We admitted we were powerless over our addictions. This is about humility, huh? About being open to something more, to a connection with God. And when that happens, a paradox, huh? In our powerlessness, we are given the power and everything else we need. In Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians, we hear our Lord say to St. Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And St. Paul answered him, I will all the more gladly boast of my weaknesses, that the power of Christ may rest upon me, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Let me pick up 
from uh, where we were from Bill W's story from the last episode. Bill W, remember, is one of the founders of Alcoholics Anonymous. So here we pick up on the story. He says, I pushed a drink across the table, but my friend refused it, said Bill W. Come, what's that all about, I queried. My friend looked straight at me. Simply but smilingly, he said, I've got religion. I was aghast, Bill said. So that's it? He had substituted religious insanity for alcohol insanity. He had that starry-eyed look, my friend did. Yes, the old boy was on fire, all right. But bless his heart, let him rant. Besides, my gin would last longer than his preaching. But he did no ranting. In a matter-of-fact way, he told me how two men had appeared in court, persuading the judge to suspend his commitment. They told him of a simple religious idea and a practical program of action. It worked. Bill continued, I had always believed in a power greater than myself. I had often pondered such things. I was not an atheist. Few people really are. For that means blind faith in the strange proposition that this universe originated in a cipher and aimlessly rushes nowhere. My intellectual heroes, the chemists, astronomers, even the evolutionists, suggested vast laws and forces at work. But when the ministers talked of God, a personal God to me who was love, I became irritated and my mind snapped shut against such a theory. The wars that had been fought, the burnings, the chicanery that religious disputes had facilitated made me sick. I honestly doubted whether on balance the religions of mankind had done any good. Judging from what I had seen in Europe and since, the power of God in human affairs was negligible. The brotherhood of man, a grim jest. If there was a devil, he seemed the boss universal, and he certainly had me. But my friend sat before me, Bill went on, and he made the point-blank declaration that God had done for him what he could not do for himself. His human will failed. Doctors had pronounced him incurable. Society was about to lock him up, and like me, he admitted complete defeat. Then he had, in effect, been raised from the dead, suddenly taken from the scrap heap to a level of life better than the best he had ever known. That floored me. Here was something in a human heart which had done the impossible. My ideas about miracles were drastically revised right then. Never mind the musty past. Here sat a miracle directly across the table. He shouted great tidings. His roots grasped a new soil. Wow. Bill said his roots grasped a new soil. Isn't this the gospel just extended out in history? Jesus said, I am with you always to the close of the age. In the gospels, Jesus repeatedly heals the sick, raises the dead, delivers people from evil and from Satan himself. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. In other words, you are powerless if you live a life of disconnection. Bill's friend was simply being truthful and acknowledging his own helplessness and, and, and accepting that condition and in a humble act of calling out to God, this simple act opened the door to the strength, fortitude, and perseverance, all sorts of things, both material and spiritual, that he needs in this world, the natural life, by connecting him to the supernatural life. Isn't this how Jesus taught us to pray? Our Father who art in heaven. And then give us this day our daily bread, huh? And we will, we will get what we need for today. Jesus said, ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. He didn't require anything more. He didn't ask us for a master's degree or go out and get a PhD in theology. 
And he came for the sick, didn't he? Both physically and spiritually. The scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Bill W. said above, he had that starry-eyed look. Yes, the old boy was on fire, all right. St. Catherine of Siena said, become who you are, and you will set the world on fire. By connecting to the vine, Bill's friend was brought back into the life that he was created for. We're embodied souls, all of us. Each of us is unique, one of a kind, and created for eternal life with God. And the most human thing we can do is to open up our hearts, body, and soul to the eternal story that we were created for in the beginning. By doing so, we are not only forgiven, healed, and brought back into eternal life as adopted sons and daughters. What sets our hearts on fire is that we already know this story. It's within us. It's not about more information. It is in our DNA. It connects the gospel to the deepest yearning, burning desire of our hearts for something more and fills it. You know, most of the sexual confusion and addiction that I see in our modern age come from trying to fill the infinite desires of our heart with finite things. When we finally fill the infinite desire with the infinite, we have that aha moment that sets us on fire with joy, gratitude, and peace. Would it surprise you to know that the Catechism of the Catholic Church, you know, that large book about everything Catholic, it doesn't start with rules and regulations or ideas about what God is like or how you should live. It starts out, believe it or not, in part one, section one, chapter one, with desire. It says the desire for God is written in the human heart because man is created by God and for God. And God never ceases to draw man to himself. Only in God will he find the truth and happiness he never stops searching for. The dignity of man rests above all on the fact that he is called to communion with God. This invitation to converse with God is addressed to man as soon as he comes into being. For if man exists, it is because God has created him through love, and through love continues to hold him in existence. He cannot live according to truth unless he freely acknowledges that love and entrusts himself to the Creator. As I wondered out loud in the last episode, how had I missed this? Somehow in my Catholic upbringing, no one connected the dots between the smaller story of my life, the deep yearning, burning desires of my heart for something more, and the larger story that we came into. How many of you have had similar experiences? I began, like so many, to experience life like a movie I had arrived at 45 minutes late. I was always searching for the missing link that would make sense of my life. This is why the world can so easily sell us on its false promises and why the deep desires of our hearts get so easily twisted and distorted and why Satan is having a cakewalk manipulating us. As John Eldridge wrote, human beings are ravenous creatures full of passions and desires, always seeking to fill this void for something more. A famished craving haunts every one of us. We are created for infinite happiness, infinite love, infinite life. But ever since we lost Eden, We have never known a day of total fullness. We are never filled in any lasting way. People are like cut flowers. We appear to be well, but we are severed from the vine. We are desperate, lustful creatures. We look to marriage or the hope of a marriage, a child, our work, food, sex, alcohol, adventure, the next night out, the new car, the new iPhone, anything to touch the ache inside of us. We are desperate creatures. 
St. John Paul II pointed out in his Theology of the Body, if you want to understand the larger story and discover or rediscover who you really are and the meaning and purpose of your life, then you should start the story at the beginning. And who best to tell the story than the author of the story? Let's pause and, and contemplate this for a moment. The author of the story that you came into, the second person of the Trinity, the bridegroom who pursues you and calls you his friend, who came not to preach and tell you about life, but to show us what life is like and to give up his life for his bride, for each one of us, to literally pour divine life and love back into you who lost it through original sin. He seeks an intimacy with each one of us. That sounds too good to be true, but that's the very logic of our faith. Jesus himself is going to now point us back to the beginning. This says, this is who you are. And in order to know who you are, you have to know where you came from. This is from Matthew 19. And the Pharisees came up to Jesus and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Jesus answered, have you not read that he who made them from the beginning made them male and female? He said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one. So they are no longer two, but one. What therefore God has joined together, let no man put asunder. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give her certificate of divorce and to put her away? Why did Moses allow divorce? And Jesus said to them, it was because of the hardness of your hearts that Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. See, Jesus here, he won't limit himself to their questions about divorce. In essence, he is saying, you've not connected the dots. You're experiencing life like a movie you arrived at 45 minutes late. You're created for infinite happiness and infinite love, infinite life. But ever since you lost Eden, you Pharisees, you are living like cut flowers. You appear to be well, but you're not. You're severed from the vine. You are desperate, lustful creatures. Huh? And what was Jesus pointing to? He's pointing right back to the beginning, to Genesis. This is where God takes man and he has him in the garden. And, and, and this is Adam, mankind, before uh, Eve, right? It did, doesn't matter now. So each one of us are in the garden. And the Lord put us there in the garden. And he wants us to learn something, right? So he says first to us, let's keep until the garden. You keep until the garden. And why, why is he doing that? He wants us to discover who we are. That we are different than the rest of creation. That we, this is called original solitude. This is before Eve, right? So, so Adam, Adam is wandering through the garden, and he realizes as God tells him these things that he's different than the rest of creation. That that God told him to keep until the garden, and he can see this, right? He has responsibility for the earth, huh? And then the Lord commanded the man, saying, You may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For the day that you eat of it, you shall die. And what is God saying here? See, the mysterious tree, huh? That's the covenant that God has with us. This is the covenant. This is the story. He says, look, we're, we're here together. We're in the abbot. You're in the orbit of my love. I created you out of love. We're walking in this garden together, and I want you to discover who you are. And in that, though, you don't have to stay with me. You can turn away. You don't have to keep the covenant, but I'm keeping the covenant, covenant with you. You may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For the day that you eat of it, you shall die. You're free to make up your choice, right? And then God just goes on then. He says, and it's not good that you're alone. I want to make a helper fit for you. 
And so that God, so out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the air, and brought them to the man to see what we would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that's what its names were. So the man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds and the beasts. So what's going on here? What is Adam? What are we discovering in our solitude with God? We're discovering that God doesn't want us to be alone. He could have kept us just the relationship with him, but he says, no, I want your love to expand. I want you to experience love. I want you to experience love in the world and to bring other eternal beings into the world. But before I do that, I want you to name all the animals. And why does he do this? So that Adam, so that we say in in this ambit, in this relationship with God, that we're different than even all of the animals, all the other bodies in the world. There's no person there for us. There's no helper there for us, right? And so this is what we're discovering, this original solitude. This is this chapter one that we're talking about here, right? That, that, you know, we open ourselves up to connection with God. And here we're filled. And only then, once we're filled with divine love, life and love, can we then become life and love to others. See, the problem we're having is not that we don't have a desire for communion and union, right? I mean, things like pornography come out of these desires that are twisted and distorted. God is saying in the beginning, yes, I want you to have these relationships. I want you. It's not good that you're alone, but you have to draw deeply from the well, from the source of divine love and life. You cannot give what you don't have. And this is what God is calling us all into, and this is what we all need to turn back to him and open up. And this is what AA is doing. This is the powerless. I'm powerless. This is an illusion to think that I created this whole world, right? But in opening up to the source and the power of love, I now bring that power, all the power of the universe into my life through this connection with God, right? Become who you are, and you will set the world on fire. It all starts with humility and openness. It's all about encountering God himself and opening up to connection, huh? Every day is a new beginning. That's what you learn in AA, and that's the power of this, that I didn't create this world. I didn't create the universe. So let's kind of end this way with a couple of ideas to to get this openness going. Many of you already have daily routines. I'm sure that you do. But if you don't, start with prayer, huh? Or just opening up your heart. I love to use the Our Father. I'll put a meditation in the show notes that'll kind of just get you into that prayer a little bit and get you on the right track, you know? Because first we have to receive the, this, this gift of divine life and love so that we can bring it into ourselves. And then the whole idea is to be a gift of divine life and love in other people's lives. That's it. No special knowledge, just the two great commandments. So love God and then love your neighbor, huh? With God, you have all the power in the universe. When I am weak, then I am strong. So you got to try to start with your day with prayer. And again, I'll put a, uh, a meditation in the show notes. You could read along with the Our Father for the next 24 hours and just concentrate on the next 24 hours. Make sure you say, I'm going to start to pray this morning because I'm only going to do it for today. And then every day becomes a new day, huh? Uh, and give something up in those 24 hours. It's really a great uh, discipline. Uh, you know, whether it's sugar or a glass of wine or being mean to somebody or pornography, uh, whatever that is, something that's bothering you about yourself, just for 24 hours, give that up. And every time you're tempted, you will open yourselves to connection and draw in, you know, ask God to come into that power, to come into that temptation, and you will start to learn the power of God and encountering God every day in your life. Uh, finally, focus on being a sincere gift to someone else. Uh, start right away. huh? This can start with just kindness, saying something uh, uh, nice to your spouse, to your children, whatever that is. You know, it, it, if it's, if it's you know, if using foul language or something like that, just, just 
stop that, you know? Call your parents up, you know, call a sick friend up. Start to be a gift. You know, these things start to come around and they start to change your life, huh? Hey, let me leave you with something, a prayer uh, from my beautiful friend, Sister Faustina, who said in her diary, and she's speaking to, uh, to Jesus here. I go out to meet him, and I invite him to the dwelling place of my heart, humbling myself profoundly before his majesty. But what does the Lord do? The Lord lifts me up from the dust and invites me as his bride to sit next to him and to tell him everything that is on my heart. And I, set at ease by his kindness, lean my head on his breast and tell him of everything. In the first place, I tell him things I would never tell to any creature. Hey, God bless you. It was great to be here I, uh, with you today. I look forward to uh, next week in Chapter 2. Remember to subscribe to the podcast. Uh, write a review if you have time. And please consider being a monthly sponsor or a one-time donor. Uh, we could use the income so we can continue the work here at the John Paul II Renewal Center. Hey, God bless you. Talk to you soon. Bye.